Thank you, ladies. Great job. Great song. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for our sins? Rose again from the dead. We wouldn't have a reason to be here otherwise. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 901, 1 John chapter 4. Paul told the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he told them to flee from idolatry. That means if you and I are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to flee from idolatry. There should be nothing and there should be no one that we admire, look to, worship more than the God of the Bible, God our Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in light of that, we are working our way through a 21-message Sunday morning series, uh, Learn of Him to Flee from Idolatry. Last week, we talked about our Creator being holy. God is holy. He is the Holy One. And to be holy, of course, means to be free from sin, error, or flaw of any sort. God is perfectly pure. God is perfectly holy. And then we talked about because God is holy, He cannot let anyone with any sin of any sort be with Him for eternity in heaven, uh, that we must be made righteous in Jesus Christ if we are to spend eternity with God. We talked about because God, being holy, He has commanded those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be holy. In fact, He considers you and I being holy as a believer to be our reasonable service. And we rejoiced in the fact that the perfectly holy God, who is incorruptible, has made a way for us as sinners in Christ to be perfectly holy. Paul also wrote, the Corinthian believers in chapter 8, though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God. And though there is one God, the world into which you and I have been placed and sent today is a world where there are many that are called gods. In case you hadn't recognized, it's a pretty big deal to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that Jehovah, the God of the Bible, is the only true God. You and I are not the first people to carry that message to a world that is uh, contrary to that narrow biblical message. And despite all the confusion and multiplicity of gods in our world, our Creator, He has always had faithful witnesses who would tell people what He's really like and what He really seeks from mankind. And I want to, and I think you do too, know what God is like. I want to believe in God for what He is like, and I want to love Him for what He's like, not what I have made Him up to be. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose for the Bible is for God, our Creator, to reveal Himself to mankind. Anybody with any sense can look around at the creation in our world, the complexity of all creation, and in particular, the complex complexity of biological creation and they can come to the conclusion that there is a creator but you cannot find what God is like from creation if we want to know what God is like we must look in the Bible and unfortunately most people they don't look in the Bible to find out who Jesus was or what Jesus said they just make up a personality for him to their own liking and quite frankly that's an idolatrous attitude about Jesus but because there are so many beings, people claim to be God, and because of humanity's prideful, 
tendency to create a God they like. I want us to spend a few months learning of him so we can flee from idolatry. How did God reveal himself to be? From the website aboutislam.com, which is a pro-Islamic website, it says this, quote, One of the 99 names of Allah is Al-Wadud, the all-loving. So when they tell me that Allah is not a loving God, I am confident to correct them, stating that Allah is the most loving. The word Al-Wadud means that he loves and honors those that worship him, end quote. And though Islam claims that Allah loves those that worship him, the God of the Bible, Jehovah, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The God of the Bible loved us before we loved him. He loved us before we believed on him. He loved us before we worshiped him. Because God is love. If you're able to stand this morning, if you'd stand please in honor the Word of God, that's the simple title of my thought this morning, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Thank you, you might be seated. My favorite book of the Bible is the Gospel of John. One of my least favorite books in the Bible is the epistle of 1 John that he wrote. To be clear, the Bible is the word of God, and it's all true whether you and I like it or not. By the way, it's true whether you and I know it or not. The book of 1 John contains some of the greatest statements in the New Testament, but it also contains some of the most difficult statements in the New Testament to understand. In fact, if you're listening to someone today speak about the Apostle John, they would very often call him the Apostle of Love, which is an interesting contrast because Jesus called John and James his brother Sons of Thunder, in Mark 3.17. But 60 years or so after Jesus called John a son of thunder, the Spirit of God had so changed John over the years that he mentions love 46 times in this short epistle and six additional times in the two short epistles by him that immediately follow this. Understand that John did not trade in truth for love over the years. He added his love of truth to a deepened love for God and for people. In fact, John uses the word truth 10 times in this epistle and 11 additional times in the two short epistles that follow. Now, some of the attributes of our Creator are pretty well known by people in America because of our Christian heritage. By the way, America is certainly not a Christian nation today. And I don't believe America was ever a Christian nation. Only people can be Christian. In fact, what I'd say to you here today, if you're here as an individual and have not yet been born again, you have not yet called upon the Lord Jesus Christ with faith in your heart, I would suggest you do that today and become a true Christian. No one is a Christian because they sit in church. 
But in the past, there was a much higher percentage of our American population who were Christian, and there was a much higher percentage of those who were Christians who were biblically literate, and quite frankly, that made our American culture much better than we find it today. Now, because America has traces of biblical literacy, if people know anything about God at all, they know that God is love. Now, some do wrongly think the only attribute of God is love, and God is more than that, but hear me, God is love. In addition to God being omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient, the last two weeks we've talked about the fact that God is sovereign and that God is holy, and I say to you today, God is love. Though God is love, not everything that is called love has something to do with God. God is not love as man defines love. God is love as God defines love. And his definition of love is much better and deeper than ours is. Those four short verses we read earlier, uh, either God's love for us or believers' love for one another is mentioned eight times. And though there are only 105 verses in 1 John, love is mentioned 46 times in 26 verses. And though there are some tough statements in this epistle, if you and I were to read it, we would easily understand had we not known that John, as a young follower of Jesus, was a son of thunder, we would have no idea that he also could rightfully be called the apostle of love. Notice first in our text that those who claim to be a believer who don't love others don't know God. That's a pretty tough statement. Verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, it might seem a little harsh to say if you don't love, you don't know God, but that is a pretty clear statement. It is impossible for someone to have the God who is love in their heart and them not love in some way or another. It's impossible. In fact, what I would say this morning is that the better a believer knows the God of the Bible, the more we will love because the God who lives inside us is love. Notice then that God's love was manifested to everyone because he sent Jesus in the world. Verse 9 says this, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. I hope you understand this morning, the only way to truly truly live is to be in Christ. Uh, Those who are not in Christ, whether you like it or not, though you may be moving around, spiritually speaking, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. See, God's love toward mankind was not manifested because you're born in America. Not everyone was born in America. God's love is not manifested toward mankind because you come from a two-parent home where your parents loved God and loved one another, most people don't come from that kind of a home. God's love toward mankind was not manifested in that He gifted us or gave us health or gave us wealth or giving us friends. Listen, everybody does not have good health, great gifts, close friends, or wealth. God's love was manifested rather because he sent his only begotten son into the world. Hear me when I say if you are looking at the events of your life 
or the world around us to decide whether God loves or not, you're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking around or looking in your life to see whether God loves, you're looking in the wrong place because you must look farther back than your circumstances or the circumstances of your birth or the difficulties of your life. You must look back to the plan of God to redeem mankind that he made before he even created the world. You must look back to an animal stable with the Lord of, Lord of glory wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You must look back to a skull-shaped hill on which the center cross, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, hung there, suffering and shedding His blood and dying for your sins and mine. God's love is not manifested in everything that happens today. Our world doesn't just bear witness to there being a God. Our world also bears witness to the fact that there's a devil. And frankly, some of the events of our world and some of the events of your life and mine, instead of bearing witness to the love of God, they rather bear witness to the sinfulness of man and the brokenness and warpedness of a world shaped by sin and Satan. Thank God this morning that God manifested His love toward us in sending His only begotten Son into the world. Listen, because God sent His only begotten Son into the world to demonstrate His love, I can confidently say to every single individual, God loves you. Because God is love. God loves you this morning if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you this morning if you refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is love. Notice next in our text, one of the qualities of true love, God's love, is that it existed and was expressed before it was returned. Verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Have you ever thought about this? The person who first expresses their love is taking the greatest risk. It is much easier to say, I love you too, or I love you back, than it is to take the risk of saying I love you when you're not sure how it's going to be responded to. Understand that God is the first one to say, I love you. He took the risk. It means risking having your love rejected. In fact, God loved us when we didn't love him. He first loved us. That's what Verse 19 of chapter 4 says, we love him because he first loved us. And God expressed his love toward mankind by sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins before we returned his love. Now the word propitiation is a good Bible word. It just means appeasement. The wrath of a holy God against your sin and mine was appeased by the shed blood and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you collect coins, you're going to have to learn some terminology that is specific to numismatics, like flip strike or grade. 
If you work on cars, if you program computers, if you do construction work, you're going to have to learn some terminology that is in some way linked to your uh, career and your work that most other people do not stand. And, and, And if you are going to be a student of the Bible, you're going to have to learn some Bible words. No one can dumb the Bible down enough to not make you and I need to learn some Bible words. And propitiation is a good Bible word. Because God loved us before we returned His love, God's love does not diminish when we fail to love Him. (laughs) Because God's love was toward you and I before we did anything good for Him, God's love does not diminish when we fail to do good things for Him. His love didn't start because of what we did. His love didn't start because we believed. His love started because God is love. His love is not on trial. God loves you. Understand that God loving us and God loving what we do are two different things. God always loves us. God loves what we do when we do what God says. Uh, Every parent here understands what it is to love your child and absolutely despise what they're doing at the moment. We get that. But I'm not preaching this morning about God loving what we do. This morning I'm preaching about God is love. God loves you. Notice the kind of love God had for us ought to inspire those of us who believe to love one another. By the way, before we read this, it is a shame to me that in so many places that are called churches, including Baptist churches, they are not characterized by love for one another. Amen. But notice what he says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Now, I certainly agree, our love ought to begin with our own family. But understand that if it's the love of God, it does not stop there. In fact, as we grow in our faith, if we grow to be more like Jesus, the circle of our love expands more and more to become like God's circle of love. Listen, there is no one more different from you and I than we are different from God. And yet God, though the difference between us and God is undescribable, God so loved the world, God loved us. And if you and I are going to be followers of the God who is love, the circle of our love ought to expand beyond our family and beyond our friends and beyond those who are like us. It ought to expand to people who are very different from us if it's going to be like the love of God. From what I understand, both the head and body of a cockroach will survive after being decapitated. By the way, if I seen one, I'd be glad to decapitate him. Unlike humans, cockroaches breathe through little holes in their body segments. And so they don't need their head or their mouth to breathe. And so what happens is the headless body will just wander around aimlessly for days. But their body does need water, and they need a head and a mouth for that, 
And so after about a week or so, the body dies. I'm also told it's not just the body of a roach that will live after decapitation. A severed head can keep going for hours as well, just unable to move because it's detached from the body. But its feelers are moving around and it's functioning until it runs out of energy. Though technically alive, neither part of a decapitated roach is really living. We live in a world that's moving around. We live among people who are moving around. But moving around and being alive are not the same thing. And people are not really alive until they understand that their Creator loves them and that their Creator wants to give them life. Though they move around, they are dead in trespasses and sins and they can truly live by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you as we get close to our message and finish our introduction, have you ever paused to recognize and appreciate the great love our Creator has for mankind? Because God is love. That's what I'd like to do for just a few moments is make some observations and applications about the character quality of our Creator being love. God is love. Remember, we are learning of him to flee from idolatry. Please first go in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. Here's number one. God doesn't just love mankind. God loves us as individuals. God doesn't just love mankind. He loves us as individuals. Notice this story in John chapter 4, beginning verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. By the way, before we go on, understand that those who believe that baptism gives salvation, that means that Jesus didn't save anybody. Isn't that interesting? Listen, you don't have to be some Greek or Hebrew scholar. I mean, just read the Bible. Verse 3 says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. I've got that little phrase underlined in my Bible. He must needs go. That's a pretty significant statement when you think about who Jesus of Nazareth was. He was the Son of God. I wonder why he must needs go through there. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. Set thus in the hour, and it is about the sixth hour, that's noon. Verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And we'll just stop there. You see, this unnamed woman had no idea that the Son of God had an appointment with her that day at the well. The disciples of Jesus had no idea when they went into town to buy food that Jesus had an appointment with this woman in Samaria. 
I mean, understand that Jesus did not just come to earth for the Jews or to love people as groups. He came because he loves individuals. Individuals of all sorts. This particular woman of, about whom Jesus went out of his way. I mean, she would have been a social outcast. She had five broken marriages, five divorces. She was living with a man who is not her husband. She came to the well at noon when no one else went there in the heat of the day because she didn't want to be around people. She didn't want to hear what they had to say about her or how she was a living. And she came there, and Jesus had an appointment with her. You know, sometimes I think we're more familiar with God's love for the world than we are God's love for individuals. In fact, you may be here yourself thinking to yourself, God doesn't have any interest in me. Hear me when I say God is interested in you as an individual. God loves you as an individual, and Jesus Christ had you in mind when he came to our world. God doesn't just love those who are a little broken. God doesn't just love those whose sins aren't considered that bad among mankind. God loves everyone, including those whose sins are specially grievous to you and I in our culture. Listen, I'm not implying that some sins are not more grievous to God than others. They are. I am saying this, Jesus Christ came into our world to seek and to save sinners. And they that are whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. A sinner of any and every sort is loved by Jesus. Listen, regardless of your background, God is calling you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ because he loves you as an individual. If you're a drunk, God hates your lack of sobriety, but he loves you. If you're immoral, God hates your immorality, but God loves you. If you're lazy and unproductive God hates your sloth but he loves you if you're selfish and proud God hates your pride but God loves you God loves each of us and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should have everlasting life God not only loves the world he loves us as individual sinners have you ever read through the gospels with this in mind Places where Jesus spoke to only one person. You realize how significant that is? Everything Jesus said could have been spoken to thousands of people. He could have never bothered to speak unless there were hundreds. And they would have gathered to hear him. Hey, listen, how far would you drive to go listen to someone who is the son of God, who raised the dead, who opened blind eyes, who did all the things that Jesus did, who every word out of his mouth was a word of God. How far would you drive? How long would you wait in line? He could have always spoken to multitudes, and yet time after time after time, we find in the Gospels stories peppered of Jesus and an individual. Just like this woman. He took time for individual Pharisees, though he regularly rebuked them for their valuing tradition above the Bible. He took time for individuals like the maniac of Gadara, though he had been involved in evil, and though no one would have ever wanted to be near him. 
He took time for small business owners, for Peter, like Peter and John, and more famous religious people like Nicodemus, even though they were proud. Jesus loved individuals. Jesus doesn't just look out at the crowd here today and say, I love you. He looks each one in the face as an individual, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been, and says to you as an individual, I love you. You may be completely unknown to anyone outside your family. You may be well-known in this world or in your company. You may be well-known to the police. You may be well-known to the IRS, but understand whether you are known by anyone whatsoever or a lot of people as an individual, Jesus loves you and died for you. Let me ask you this morning, do you need to be saved? Have you ever been born again? Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And he died so each of us could have that opportunity as an individual. Have you responded to Jesus as an individual? But it's not just that God's love teaches us that God loves us as an individual. Secondly, number two, God's love for us is more than words. God's love moves him to action. By the way, that's exactly what's going on in John chapter 4. When Jesus went out of his way for this woman, understand that all happened because he sought a woman who was not seeking him. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins. None of us on our own would ever seek after God as he is. But thanks be unto God, he seeks us. He first loves us. He first seeks us. He first calls out to us. Hear me when I say at some point in time, every individual on this planet has a time when God, the creator, reaches out to them. And they have no choice to make. They can either choose to respond to the loving Savior who seeks them or reject Him. Hear me this morning when I say it was not the holiness of God that pursued Adam and Eve when they sinned. It was the love of their Creator for them that pursued them. The love of God moved him to seek Cain after he offered the fruit of his hands for his salvation instead of a lamb that God had asked Cain said no. But when he said no, he didn't say no to the, love, uh, to the holiness and the justice and righteousness of God. He said no to the love of God who sought him where he was. It was the love of God that moved God to seek David after he so grievously sinned against both God and man. Thankfully, David accepted the reproof of Nathan the prophet and he responded before the justice and holiness, and righteousness of God caught up with him, but it was the love of God who sought him. Listen, people rightly fear the holiness, justice, and righteousness of our omnipotent Creator. But understand this morning, those are not what are chasing us. They'll find us. Eventually, the justice, righteousness, and holiness of God will find everyone. But that's not what's chasing them. 
What is chasing every human being, whether they belong to the Lord Jesus or not, what is chasing every individual is the love of God. One of the great desires we all have is to be loved unconditionally. Maybe this desire was placed in us by our Creator because He knew it was a spot that He alone could fill. Hear me when I say I wasn't seeking God when a young man sold me a Bible when I was in college and challenged me to read it by myself. The love of God was seeking me. I was not seeking God when when I graduated from college and I was sent to Cincinnati for my job. I was not seeking God. God's love was seeking me. When I went to church to play softball 39 years ago, I was not seeking God. God's love was seeking me. That's not just true of me. That's true for everyone here. The unconditional love of our Creator is seeking you this morning. Whether you believe in the Lord Jesus or not, I'm just here to say, listen, God is in pursuit of you. It is God's love in pursuit of you, not His holiness, not His righteousness, not His justice. Those are just as real as God's love. But this morning, I'm preaching about the pursuit of God for you because God is love. And some of you are just like I was. God's love is seeking you. And you have a choice to make. I urge you to choose to yield to Christ. There's some here this morning and you need to make Christ your Savior. He's made it clear to you that your sins have separated you from your God. He's made it clear to you that Jesus Christ is the only way. He shed His blood, died on the cross, rose again from the dead, and offers eternal life through grace. You are made aware of that. God's love has sought you. Yield. Be saved. There are others here, you have yielded to the Savior to be saved, but if you're honest, you know good and well this morning that there are things between you and your God, things that you know need to be fixed, things that you know that need to be changed. I just want to say to you this morning, it's not the holiness and righteousness and justice of God seeking you as you rebel and leave the closeness of fellowship that our Creator desires. The love of God is seeking you. What will you choose in a moment when we have invitation? I plead with you, yield to the Savior whose love is seeking you. But it's not just that the love of God is such that it seeks us. Lastly, this morning, please turn up a few pages to chapter 13. I think we often have it wrong. I think we often think it's the holiness and righteousness chasing after people. Listen, it, that, that will find them. It'll find you and me too. But it's God's love in pursuit. This morning, if you're saying no to God in any way, you're not saying no to His holiness and righteousness. You're saying no to a compassionate Savior who's seeking you. Lastly, this morning, number three, God's love should not stop at us. It should flow through us to others. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus here says to the apostles on his last night, a new commandment I give unto you, 
that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by this, shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Listen, we have been on Sunday nights here now for over a year and a half talking about sound doctrine. I believe a church ought to have sound doctrine. I believe believers in Jesus ought to know and follow sound doctrine. But understand, the thing that ought to characterize us is our love for one another. Do you ever, before you come in here, do you ever pause and pray, God, help me to love the people here. God, help us to love one another. Listen, if this assembly is not characterized by our love for one another, understand, it's not because our Savior isn't loving. I get so weary of stories I hear of things that people who call themselves Christian in places that call themselves Baptist churches. I'm so weary of the complete lack of love for one another that is so often on display. That's nothing like Christ. John got his message that we read in chapter 4 from Jesus. That's why John said in his epistle and in his letter, and we read it, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, if you had faith in Jehovah, the standard for your love was to love your neighbor as yourself. But you and I today, we're not Old Testament Jews or proselytes who are following Judaism as set forth by the laws of Moses. You and I are New Testament followers of Jesus and our command and our standard is not to love one another like we love ourselves. Our standard is to love one another like Jesus loved. He didn't make this statement in the early years of his ministry. He made this statement to the men who knew him best. He made this statement to the men who saw him in the morning, who saw him at the end of a busy day, who saw him when someone mistreated him, who saw him when someone lied about him, who saw him when all kinds of things went around. And he could say to them, like you and I ought to be able to say to our children and grandchildren who know us better than everybody, we ought to be able to say to them, love like you saw me love. They knew Jesus loved them. Not just as a group, but as an individual. And they saw how he loved the people who were not committed disciples. There were hundreds of them. They saw how he loved people who were not saved. They saw how he loved people who were completely unlike him. They felt how he loved them as sincere, committed disciples. True love is always an action word. And love moved our Creator to act in coming to die for our sins. You see, if you and I love one another more and better, we would make more effort in the relationship. We'd make, we'd make more effort to forgive. 
There's probably people in this room. You don't want to be, uh, you don't want to talk to somebody else in this room. You don't want to see them. You don't want to work in ministry with them. Can I just say, repent? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Loving one another would move them to be patient with each other's faults, flaws, and weaknesses. Loving one another would move them to try to restore those who had fallen and pray for one another. True love is always an action word. True love moves us to suffer and be kind. True love moves us to not be easily provoked and not think evil. True love moves us to bear all things, hope all things, and endure all things. And you and I, if you are here and claim to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are supposed to love one another because God so loved us and Jesus demonstrated that to be true. Edward was the Prince of Wales and the oldest son of King George V and Queen Mary. He served in World War I. He was very popular among the British people. The British people loved him. He was very charismatic. He was very fashion conscious. But he was also a womanizer. But he met and he fell in love with an American woman named Wallace Simpson, W-A-L-L-I-S. And Wallace Simpson had herself been twice divorced. And when Edward's father died in January 1936, Edward became King Edward VIII. He was a king of the United Kingdom, the whole British Empire that at that time included India. In fact, as the king of England, he also was the head of the Church of England. But neither that organization nor British society approved of him marrying a divorced woman who had two living former spouses. Edward had a choice. Leave the throne of England or leave Miss Simpson. Because he loved Wallace Simpson deeply, he abdicated the throne of England and gave up the wealth and fame that he and his children would have had after only reigning for 326 days. And though both of their backgrounds were not like this at all, they remained married to his death in 1972. King Edward VIII made a sacrificial choice because he loved Wallace Simpson. He was willing to give up the things most people dream of having to pursue love. Can I say this? Neither Edward's love nor his sacrifice are even worthy to be compared to the sacrifice and perfect love of God for us. The great love of God that moved the Lord Jesus to leave the right hand of the throne of the universe of his Father in heaven. He did that because God is love. Let me ask you, what is your love because God loved you? What is it moving you to do? What is it moving you to sacrifice? What is your love because God first loved you? What is it moving you to do and sacrifice for your family, for your friends, for the work of Christ, for the people of this world. God is love. You'd quietly stand.